everybody. Welcome back to the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast for episode 505. I can't believe we're halfway through the season already. This episode is called Dedicado on Max. Yes, uh, I'm Chris McCaleb. I'm one of the editors of the show and the editor of this episode. Uh, our co-host, Kelly Dixon, unfortunately, yet again, as has become quite a trend this season, uh, is unfortunately unable to join us. She's still on assignment in places near and far, mostly far. And uh, but she says hello and she wishes she could be here. Uh, but we are joined, as always, by the co-creator and our showrunner, Peter Gould. Hello. How's it going? Uh, it, it's pretty good. That's good. Thanks for coming in on Super Bowl Sunday. That's that's right. It's the that's holiest why were... day in American <laughs> calendar. That's why there was right? no traffic. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Everybody's uh, already at the 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 super house where they go to watch the gaming event. This would be the perfect time to go to Disneyland. Oh my God, that's such a good idea. Um, I, I wish I'd thought of that. Well, next year uh, we won't be recording a podcast. Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, co-creator Vince Gilligan couldn't be here today. Maybe he's watching the Super Bowl. Who knows what's going on? No, he had a family event, and uh, but we've got some awesome guests. We also, of course, have Joey Reinish on the Wheels of Steel. Hello, Chris Bacalo. Hello, man. Um, so yes, we have three guests, and I'm just going to go from left to right. We have first uh, the the person in charge of all, making this show happen, all things post-production, our co-executive producer, Diane Mercer. Hi, everyone. Hi, Chris. Hello. Thanks for coming in as well. Uh, who do you have in the big game today? The gaming foot, foot, uh, who's foot game. Who's playing in the big game today? Two teams. Same as me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're, we're going to be going down the scores. We're going to be giving you updates. That's what this podcast is about. It's a sports podcast. We also have making her debut on the podcast, assistant to Peter Gould, Valerie Chu. Hello. Hello, Val. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having we me. We will be gentle. We, we will not bite. We will be Val. We, we'll get into what Val does, but we, this nothing would, could get done without Val on this show. That is a fact. That is an absolute fact. Um, and speaking of nothing being able to get done in, in life and in the show, we have a very special guest who flew in today. He's all over the world. He is making his debut on the podcast. It's Gus Fring, everybody. It is Giancarlo Esposito. Thank you so much, Chris. Hello, Hello everyone. What a pleasure to be here. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're so glad you're here. Pleasure. This is going to be a fun conversation. It's a, it's a fun episode for Gus. He looms so large over every episode and, and, and so many scenes, even when you're not in them, you're in them. And I, th I mean, I think that's a testament to the character and also to the gravity that your performance has that you can just feel it even when he's not there. Well, I, I love the, the writing for this particular episode, as I do for all of them. Uh, but what I love about this looking back and rethinking the moments uh, of this particular episode, Gus reels you in and then pushes you away. I love the phone call. When, when you know, Mike, he gets Mike on the phone, Mike gets him on the phone, and he starts to lay his thing. What do you want from me? All this now is not a good time. <laughs> now is not a good time, you know, which makes, of course, Mike want more and more That's and more. Right. But it's, um, uh, I, I love playing this character, and I love being able to have um, such really great inspiration from this wonderful writer's room. Speaking of which, this, this episode was written by Heather Marion, and it was directed by Jim McKay. He directed 408 last year, which had that uh, trip to Cushada 
that uh, that Jimmy took on the bus that you edited that I did. I also edited that one, and uh, it's awesome working with Jim. I've still never met Jim in real life, and I can't wait to meet him. He's all, he's another person who's just rarely in Los Angeles, and I'm I rarely leave the the small cave where our computers are. So someday, maybe I'll get to New York. I think this is if if you're listening and you can get me to New York, please get me to New York. I'm please send help. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I I I love this this podcast. It's really becoming just a cry for help, and I'm I'm desperate. No, I uh, I I also I loved reading this script. I, I was really taken by it because it felt like I mean it's very much the show, but it felt like this kind of departure into this other world, this Mexican village that we know very little about. That's that's very tranquil, and 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 Mike gets to have this. Kind of adventure out there on his own, kind of, and uh, talk a little bit about the thinking behind that, behind putting him in this small village. Like, how did that? Where did the idea for that come about? I I think we always had the feeling. I mean, Gus Fring is such a. This is all about Gus. Uh, this, Gus Fring is such a fascinating, deep character. He has so many different aspects, and we just wanted to. We thought about what Gus Fring does to remember Max. And, you know, he started this this uh, chemistry scholarship. Of course, the Gale, the Gale, yes, the, where he discovered yes. Gale. And we also thought maybe there's maybe there's another side, too. Maybe there's there's a kind of a little bit of a Shangri-La or, or a, a special place that he keeps in memory of Max. And then we also felt that that um, that he's not yet willing to let go of this relationship with Mike, that Mike is kind of uniquely suited to being in the uh, Gus, Fring, Gus Fring world. And we sure. thought, wouldn't it be interesting if if Gus shows a part of himself to Mike in this very indirect way? Uh, I don't know. It's just, it was, that's, that's as best as I can. The other thing that was, I think, influencing me personally is the, the old Patrick McGowan show, The Prisoner, oh. uh, which, which, is, which, is, which is always going to be one of my touchstones personally. And a little, little aspects of that keep popping up on, on, the, on the show. Uh, and in this case, he, you know, Mike is, is, uh, is, is he trapped there? Not really, except by his, uh, his wounds. But the, the, we were certainly thinking about that, and I certainly was too. His wounds are, they're really on him too. Like that, he, he started that fight. Yeah, he definitely put himself in that position, and it's interesting. The last time we saw that, the last interaction that Mike and Gus had in person was Mike basically telling Gus, "Why don't you take your money and go fuck yourself?" Yeah. And it, this is interesting because it, it's such a it's such a wild flex for Gus and of of his power that he can say, "Not only did I save your life." But also, I can just whisk you away to anywhere in the world to this village that I control completely, and uh, I just I love that. I love it's that. A, it's a flex. I like I like your use of flex. I, I love this that good. too. Um, and I love the the prisoner analogy. One of my favorite shows growing up. It really allowed you inside of someone's interior. And I think uh, for me, when I even just listen to you gentlemen talk about this particular situation, I, I go I go to a different place. I go to a place that 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 sort of looks at Mike as someone. Gus has read him well. This guy's about to crash. Yes. This guy's going to crash. And and Gus really sees that pain and anguish. And for me, this episode is so very important because it's almost cathartic 
for Mike to have to look back at all the demons that he has tried to avoid. And, and, and when Gus finally says to him, I mean, this basic street fight that happens is just all of this buildup of anger and, and aggression that has no place to go inside of Mike. Right. And so every time Mike tries to reach out to Gus, it's with this sort of anger and, and Gus is just like, okay, not yet, not yet, not yet. <laughs> Until when finally, I need it. Yeah. Yeah. Until he finally says, look, is this the life you want? Like, if it's if it is, go yeah. do that. Right. So Mike is as interpreting as many of us are interpreting the manipulation of Gus is all for Gus's own aggrandizement. But it's not completely. He really sees this guy as someone he could help and who could help him. He's very clear in the, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, he he's I mean, I, I imagine that Gus knows everything that happened to Mike before he came to Albuquerque, right? I mean, Gus has his he ways, must. and I, he must know that. And so he, 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 he knows that inside Mike, he speaks the same language that Gus speaks. He has had that same pain, and he, and he had taken revenge on, you know. It, yeah, it goes back to that word, revenge, that. revenge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you know, it's interesting you're saying this, Giancarlo, because the um, – you said something years and years ago. We were on, uh, I was watching you on a panel for Breaking Bad. I think I might have mentioned this before to you. And you said something. You said, uh, Gus Fring is essentially a teacher. And at the time, I smiled because it seemed so, um, I don't know, it just seemed so out of left field in a way because it's certainly not necessarily the way the audience sees this character. But this is, this is it's teaching not in the sense of... Uh, a college lecturer, but it's more like a, a zen, my my view of a Zen master, where you know he's sort of leading leading Mike to uh, to a conclusion without actually telling him that this is the conclusion, and that's and there's something there's something I, I keep I always think about that um, that 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 idea of Gus as a teacher, uh, sometimes a good teacher, sometimes a bad teacher. You know, we had the uh, the previous episode uh, episode uh, five hundred four. Gus is sort of uh, Taking it oh, out man. on one of his one of his employees, and he's that's sort of an example of a, I don't know if he's a good teacher or a bad teacher, but it's a different kind of teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I that that really rang for me. It, weirdly enough, in the moment, I smiled and I thought, well, this is so. Oh, this is how Giancarlo makes his way through this character. Uh, but actually, the more I thought about it, the deeper and the more interesting that idea has become. It's so interesting because it, it, it's reflected also in the writing. I mean, eventually in 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 five oh five, I mean, he he basically really why is he so able to do what he does and to be that sometimes teacher and sometimes person who's dangling the carrot in front of you that you cannot resist? Um, I think all, part of all that is because he is who he is. Mm-hmm. I am what I am. I am who I am, and he's as as hard. Uh, for our audience to sort of accept some of the atrocious things that he does, um, it is it's it's palpable that he is very comfortable with where he's at. And the peek into this particular village is a beautiful thing because it's a utopia that I don't know if that can be achieved or accomplished by anyone else or any place else, but in our wonderful tapestry of Better Call Saul. Absolutely. Where'd you find that village? Like, what is the village? This is a museum. This is a working museum. Hey, uh, Mike, Mike, what's the name of what's the name of the place we shot this, uh, where we shot this village? That was El Rancho de las Golondrinas in Santa Fe. <laughs> of course. That's Why, right. That's thank right. you, Mike. That, thank you, Mike. You got it. And that, yeah, it's, 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 it's such a fantastic location. It is. And it's, uh, it's also... It's a tribute to uh, to Jim and our production folks because it's quite distant from Albuquerque. 
And so Jim essentially had to shoot I bl- all the exteriors at this location, I think, in two days. It, uh, yes. And they're also two, they weren't two really long days because it's, it's all daytime exterior. Uh, and so it, this is there this were is restrictions ex- on how long because they had yeah, to be right. in and out. I think they had something like nine or ten hours of actual shooting. That's in a right. Day. Because the crew, the, the time that the crew takes to get travel. to the location, the travel time right. is, is part of it. And I think it's a tribute because uh, Jim is Jim is an extraordinary director. He's 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 got a sensitivity to his work and a, and a reality and a groundedness. He's just the perfect guy for this because this this village could seem kind of uh, like a, a conceit, uh, but it feels like a real place. And it's, it's because of all the detailed work that, that uh, the product, our production and designer and, and, the, and the, the whole art department, but also Jim, pulling that all, to, all, to, all together and, having, and also having the organization to shoot a lot of material oh very, God. very quickly. And, uh, it's remarkable. And did we put that fountain there? We did. Man, we did. That's but a big deal. You know, the other thing was that when we wrote this episode, we broke this. We knew this was going to be a problem. I always assumed that the interiors in this village were going to be uh, on stage, and they weren't. In fact, that little house and mm-hmm. the bedroom and all Senior all that uh, all of that is is part of this a uh, part of this museum. Uh, and it's I actually spotted uh, the same location. In um, MacGruber. In MacGruber, that's right. Oh, really? In MacGruber. That's right. <laughs> it's, it looks a little different there. Yeah, if you want an alternate history of Better Call Saul, watch MacGruber because there are a lot of the same locations and because they shot all throughout Albuquerque. So it's pretty funny. Wow. Now, that location, uh, that it's kind of incredible that there's that whole Mexican village right around it. Right, Diane? Uh, right. No, some, in fact. Some digital magic. There's quite a lot of digital <laughs> yeah. magic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, it's yeah. I mean, we only did one shot. That's what's actually pretty amazing about it is that we only did the the. It's it's the same same angle. It's in it's in episode five hundred four at the very end when right. Mike when we see Mike outside, and then we use it at the beginning of five hundred five as well. And so um, it was really important to make sure that this didn't look like one person's home. It had right. to. We had to very quickly sell it as a village. And um, the only way to do that was to get up high and make sure that we weren't just looking at like one courtyard of a very large property. It had to, we had to see the other homes behind it. And so we did put in, we, we removed some distant buildings that didn't look appropriate. And then we put in uh, rodeo effects, our, our, our great um, team up there, they put, they put in, you know, other little homes with fences and they even put people walking around back there wow. that's yeah and, and they took a shot it's a drone shot and you know sometimes you know drones are pretty small and the wind can really affect a drone and i you would not believe the before and after on that shot as to how they were able to stabilize and make it a usable viable shot it's it's really incredible because it's the only the one we had we didn't did. have another option i mean right. it's like that it was that shot or nothing um and it was definitely very windy that day so the drone was getting kind of bumped around so but you you'll never know the you'll amount, never know the amount of stabilization that we this is this is super inside baseball <laughs> the, amount, the amount of stabilization that we've done this season and the kind of stabilization that we've done has really given me a great insight into the work of David Fincher because um, yes. it really it, it, I, now that now when I see uh, David Fincher's show I understand why he likes to shoot 
in uh, in 8K or 6K because of the amount. Those those shows are and that's part of his style. Is that there's so yep. there's so much stabilization going on. It's, it's the camera has a certain kind of movement to it. You and, know, another thing. And this oh, is, well, by the way, just this technologically, this is interesting to me because this is something that you couldn't do just a few years ago. We couldn't right. do this on film. This is an artifact of the digital world, mm. and it's it's really it's it's, it's I, I it's mean, fascinating. You couldn't get a film camera up on one of those drones. No. They're so light and film cameras are so heavy. Uh, you know, another thing you see in that drone shot, that awesome drone shot, uh, is you see some sheep. And Giancarlo, we <laughs> were so blown away by your, I mean, first of all, just always blown away by your performance. But what you don't see on screen, and hopefully if the gag reel ever, I don't know if it's still in the oh, gag, is it? it is. is it? Oh. It, so it, what you can't see is right on the other side of the fence, because again, this is a working, functioning location. Yes. And this is, this, by the way, for everyone, to, this is the very last scene of the episode, this very serious scene between Mike and Gus, where Ex Gus is- Extremely serious. Yeah, is, is explaining, basically, you know, Telling Mike, you have a choice. Yeah, you know? I'm laying out your future, yeah. a future yes. that we have some sense of already, and so we know. Okay, this is this this is the genesis of perhaps this kind of the devil's agreement that mm -hmm. they made, and. <laughs> 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 And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm determined not to stop. We're, we're just going to pause and we're going to lay it in, in between the sheep. But I, I got to tell you, I had a lot of love for those sheep because that's real. Yeah. As an actor coming into this village, I, I was, you know, Diana, I was really amazed by the work that everyone put into this village. Yeah. And I, when you come on a set like that and you look around and there's no false walls, it's all real buildings, yeah. you know, you're hearing real sheep. I'm yeah. like, I'm there yeah. 100%. And and they were there too. They were, and, and it, it almost felt like it seemed like maybe there was one who thought it was in the scene with you because you would say a line, you would say like you have a choice, then you hear, <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, this is something you want to do. It, like it, it was having like it, a conversation with it's you. Replying. Exactly. It's replying. Yeah. Reply yeah. you. Yes. Exactly right. Yes, you are not playing opposite <laughs> Jonathan Banks. In no, <laughs> you are playing it's opposite a, the, the a, sheep. And, There's I mean, something about your voice and a testament to you <laughs> well not breaking in that scenario. I I don't know how oh. you were able to maintain the focus and because it is it's like you said, Diane. It's a very serious scene. How do you? I try as an to actor, just time it, lay it in there if it feels natural. And I think that, you know, for all of us actors, we want everything to go perfect. And as human beings, we do sometimes do the same thing. And when they don't, we're drawing something. We want to tear the paper up and start all over again. But sometimes there's really gold if you stay in the moment and, and work through all of the elements that would happen naturally. And so that's, that's really what I tried to do because I was really feeling the energy between myself and, and Jonathan and, and also the sheep, of course. <laughs> uh, but for me, I knew that eventually, you, if you guys saw what I did that day, you should see me in the ADR room when I'm going, what's wrong with that? <laughs> Wait a minute, what's wrong with that? Why can't we use that? I mean, yeah, the sheep is there, but it just, just missed my line. Uh, so I always try to work it out to be as natural as possible. Um, I just, you just don't let things bother you. And you, if your intention is pure and steady, you allow that to drive you, no matter what else is going on. So that's a, that's focus, that's concentration, that's allowance. You know, that's being 
um, intolerant of your own impatience. And um, it, it really helps me to know it's your fear that stops you from moving through that moment where you go, mm, you glitch, and you go, something about what I just did, I don't like myself. But who cares? Like if you're in the flow of a conversation, you're going to move right through that and try to meet that head on and don't allow that nervousness to destroy your whole performance. And so I learned from Jonathan, who I think is a master actor. He just doesn't do anything except to communicate himself to you and allow your communication to get through to him. And so I adore working with him as an actor. Uh, we sometimes are crotchety with each other. He has a different process than I do. I look at him and he looks at me and we go, okay, if there's music happening, we feel it. And we both at certain moments in time, you know, do you want to talk about this? I go, no. And I'll go to him, do you want to talk about this? He says, I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know. And, and so we have beautiful times together when we're able to hit that, that right rhythm. That's awesome. That's, I love that. Intolerant of your own impatience. Yes. That is, that's, I mean, if we all had that more in our lives, I think everything would run better. Wow, look, you get to a point where, you know, you know it's right there, but it, you didn't quite get there, and you're in the scene, and it's a, it's a rhythm and a musicality of it. And so then you start to feel yourself wanting to push a little bit, and you go, oh, no, no, don't do that. That won't work. Why not just stay here in this really awkward, weird place? <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and we don't yeah. really want to do that in, in our human lives, right. let alone as an actor. Right. You know, uh, but when you acknowledge that, I feel so awkward right now. But uh, <laughs> but I am listening and I am attentive and I'm here. And so let the awkward live and breathe and be there. Right. Right. Was it were you nervous at all? I mean, kind of going back, uh, you know, bringing back Gus Fring into this show i mean and now he's been a part of it for three seasons now and such a huge huge part of it were you nervous at all about slipping back into that character i mean you're you're clearly very different from gus fring in real life i don't want people to know that oh okay well we'll, we'll cut that out, we'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> no of course i was nervous i didn't want to just go and do the same thing i'd done before mm -hmm. And so the constant reminder for me is to really stay in the moment and be present, but allow the thoughts that came to me when I started to think about reprieving this character, how do I make him different? Maybe more vulnerable, maybe a little hot-headed inside, mm -hmm. maybe someone who is not so in control of everything and gets a little frustrated when he doesn't have that control. So it's the little small details that I wanted to focus on to allow me to grow in a different direction and not just stand there and be this be Gus. And right. so it's interesting because I get we all get a lot of attention in our lives for this particular project, for these bookend projects that have been so special to us. And the reason I'm here is because of that special nature of connection with people, actors, writers, and everyone. So for me to find something new to latch onto, to practice, because it's all practice, it's all fun and play uh, to me, in, and to build those building blocks has been wonderful because it's subtle. It's, it's the smaller stuff that really makes the most importance. I saw a scene in ADR last week, and I cringed. Like, I just, and Peter directed it, and he never steers me wrong, and he didn't at this point either. But um, I looked at my expression, and I went, ooh, that was way too much. Like, that's not, that's not the Gus I know, that reaction. But then I went, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's 
that's the guy. That's before that strong reaction he had in, mm-hmm. in, in just in his face. That's the Gus. He's right where he should be. Mm-hmm. And but I didn't like it because it just wasn't cool and quiet and, <laughs> and <laughs> evil enough for me. Um, but it really was where I should have been. And I, so I went back in my brain and I thought to myself before I did the ADR for the line before and after this expression, which I hated. I thought to myself, where was I? Where, where am I right at that point in time? Oh, yeah. I'm a little bit angry that this happened. I'm angry that this person escaped me. I want to know why, where, how, and all those things. But the first reaction was absolutely correct. So it's that that helps me live in a place that allows me some new movement in my consciousness as a ghost. That's really, that's, that's a, what a peek behind the curtain. That's awesome. Yeah, it bothered me. You know, I have uh-huh. to say it bothered me until I really thought it through. And I went, Giancarlo, that's right where the guy is. He's not the Gus that we, that we um, end with in Breaking Bad. He's a different guy. And those little things, which I have to commend Peter on and you on as an editor, um, those little things are what tell the story in a different way. And so we all think we know what that story may be with many of our characters because we've had something to go by before in our other show, but this this show is a different animal. And it's been really beautifully done, and so it's so exciting to be a part of it. Well, in this season too, we're getting we're getting a really I I and and from last season as well, getting a really different look at Gus and getting to see some of the more emotional side of him i mean there's this scene in uh when he was by uh, hector's bedside that monologue about his childhood and and then this season between this you know sort of seeing this emotional and even a, a romantic side to gus that we haven't seen this kind of a heart hurt that you don't think about a monster you don't think about a, a person who has done monstrous things. I mean, nobody thinks of themselves as, as the villain of, of their story. But you, you we yeah, don't. I do. You don't. <laughs> I totally We're talking do. about the show. I'm the about complete, oh, yeah. No, but I understand what you're saying, though. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. a very, it's a hard look when we have to really, as we get older, we stop the, the tap dance and the jazz and we go, you know, we have kids and we have wives and girlfriends and people in our lives who some will tell us the truth and some won't. Mm-hmm. Some will just wax us, but we get much clearer about our own game, you know? Mm-hmm. So that, that changes things. And I've always wanted Gustavo to have something inside. He's just not that cold, turned off guy. You know, he, he of course, suppresses all those emotions and feelings, but he's human. And I think that's the, the thing that I wanted to portray the most, that behind all of the veil is a humanity about him. He does care. Now, Cranston used to always accuse me of you know, just being self-serving in my ideas and my thoughts about that part of this character. Uh, you know, you're just justifying. And I'd love, I loved getting into conversations. Oh, really? Yeah. I loved getting into conversations with him in, in that regard. Because oh you're just justifying justifying your evil. <laughs> you know, oh, he would say stuff to me oh, like that. Oh, you want to talk about that? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And I loved it because yes. Brian gave me a reason to thrive and to live. You know, <laughs> no, I'm not. This is who I really am. You know, <laughs> Breaking Bad was one long justification. Yeah. For, uh, for Walter White, my God. Funny yeah, stuff. seriously, really funny stuff. Oh, <laughs> um, I, I I do want to. I, I mean, I obviously. 
as we say a lot, we'll never get to everything in the episode, but I, why, who, this is such a, I love this conversation that we're having, but I do want to talk a bit about that montage where Jimmy and Kim, well, Kim is on her end kind of gumming up the works and, and getting all these lawsuits and then, um, and then Jimmy putting together this this con. Talk a little bit about that, about the the con, the, the sort of great escape powder through the the pants. And it's it's always tough to know when you're you're working on one of these things how much is enough and how much is too much. You know, especially when you're talking about a montage. Uh, generally, you know, you want as much incident and footage as possible which is why one of our uh, old producers on uh, better call Saul who's not not with us anymore, we used to say montage is French for overtime you know there's a reason why you don't see you don't see as many montage we, we are we are just insane in how we push this this is a uh, this is a very tricky montage because there was a lot of dialogue to it there's a lot of characters who we're not that familiar with. Uh, but I have to say, uh, one of the joys of it for me was Barry Corbin. And the more Barry Corbin we had yeah. in this in this montage, and the more we had of him in the episode, the happier I was. I was so gratified with how well Barry and Bob played with each other. They mm. he's they just Bob really uh, reacts to who the, his scene partners so much. He's he's. Uh, and it, and it changes so deeply. And Barry Corbin just uh, was just brought out. They brought out the best in each other. Mm-hmm. Very, very funny. Uh, wonderful, wonderful work. But also a very complicated sequence done at an almost impossible location. Oh, yeah. uh, because this, this location, and you may have heard us talk about it in yes. a previous episode, this location is in a, a place where there are a lot of sandstorms and a lot of weather problems. It's and, in the and Wizard of Oz, pretty much. It is. It is. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, so again, you know, we have a, a wonderful crew fighting the elements and Jim trying to figure out how to convey a lot of information uh, as quickly as possible. But it, it's, I, it's just, it's a fun scene. I have to say the other scene, which is kind of on the opposite end of the production scale that I love in this episode is uh, there's a scene where Kim imitates Kevin. Yes. Uh, which is, uh, which is uh, Jimmy, 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 imitates Jimmy, Kim. Im- Jimmy imitates Kim. This is a scene. I, and I just want to give a great big shout out to Heather Marion who wrote this episode. This is one of my favorite Jimmy and Kim scenes ever. Yeah. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, we were, we had a, uh, a television critics uh, event uh, was it last week? It seems like a year ago. Yeah. Right? <laughs> About last uh, week, yeah. And, it's, and you know, usually at these these things, you show a uh, a trailer or a montage, and instead we chose just to show that one scene. And it plays so well, and the two of them, uh, Bob and Ray, are so great with each other. And Heather just wrote the hell out of that scene, and she did the whole episode. But that particular scene is uh it's is is so funny and so uh romantic and human uh i just it's one of my all-time favorites uh, this, uh, between those two characters i agree it was also a joy to edit that scene because they it, it's that sort of embarrassment of riches it's the it's the thing we've talked about on the podcast before where when you're making when you're putting a scene together it's one problem when you don't have enough footage or the the right amount of footage and you're solving problems by create you know creatively finding a way to make it work and then it's a different much better problem when you have too many good choices 
and too many good options and you have to figure out the best of your great options <laughs> and it's it's a good problem to have it's it's it is still a problem that requires a lot of thinking but it's a, it's the kind of problem you want to have as an editor and i'm sure as as a showrunner you want to have uh, too many options oh, too yeah. many good options oh yeah yeah mm. and, and they, sorry oh go ahead i was just going to change the subject and mm. talk about how this this episode seems to take kim on another step towards mm. Uh, you know, the dark side, I guess, right? Don't worry about Kim. Because mm-hmm. I am, I am too. And uh, <laughs> at the, uh, you know, I mean, she, she started this scam last week, but then she basically gets caught, right? I mean, Rich calls her out on it and, and tries to do it in the most uh, supportive boss manner that he can yeah. you know, i mean i, I would hey. d- rich is a great boss he rich really, is a great boss he, he really that is. conversation <laughs> that he has with her where he but but then she you know she she doesn't even let him do it gently she no. just like dives right in and is in like what are you saying in, in front of front everyone of has a meltdown in front big of mistake but this is also after she's already now taken us another step prior where you know she thinks they know she they decide they have to take a step back and then jimmy offers her another way Mm-hmm. And oh my God, she takes it. Like she takes it. Yep. And then we bring in Stephen Ogg, the amazing oh, Stephen Ogg, <laughs> to uh, explain That's a crazy scene. that. And actually, Peter, this was so interesting. We talked about this when we were cutting the episode. Like separate from that amazing scene, but I I love that it was so important to you guys, to the writers as a whole, to not have Kevin have a, a, a skeleton in his closet. Yes, mm. that would have been really that would have been easy to have have something blackmailable. Yeah, uh, I I always think about that. I'm forgetting it was there's a great there's a political reporter who, who once said uh, the scandal isn't what's uh, illegal. The scandal is what's legal. Uh, so you know Kevin doesn't really have doesn't you know they have no leg to stand on. It's one of the things that I, I think it's kind of a, a signpost of both shows is that we don't. The char- all the characters aren't necessary. Not every character has a deep dark secret. You know, not everybody breaks the rules. It's not this, the argument of the show isn't that like the whole world is is a big ball of shit and everybody's everybody's stabbing each other in the back. The the, the this, I think in a weird way that just takes uh, morality and individual choice out of it. Uh, so you know, we we did we did we 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 thought, and also it would have been too easy. If yes. Kevin, if Kevin had, if Kevin had, you know, some kind of secret, and you know, he has a, he's having an affair, or you know, he's he's been stealing money from the bank or something, then they're kind of they're in a weird way. It takes the the onus off Kim and Jimmy. Uh, so, but Kevin is, uh, uh, you know, he is what he seems to be. He's more or less squeaky clean. Although Kim in that scene sees something, she obviously sees something. That she wants to take that down. she wants yeah. to take advantage of, yeah. uh, and what that is, well, you know, we'll have to wait till next week to find out. I hope, <laughs> I hope we do find out. But yeah. I, I have to also give a big, big shout out to Stephen Ogg. Uh, this scene was written for another another character, another actor, um, and uh, we, you know, we we went to some lengths to try to bring that other actor in, and unfortunately, scheduling problems prevented it from happening, and. Uh, Heather wrote a great scene for this other actor, and then she had to re rewrite it completely for Stephen Ogg's character. And the big question we had uh, with Stephen Ogg's character was, if he's so good at this, why aren't Jimmy 
and Kim using him in the future? Why is Jimmy working with Mike if he has this other great uh, private eye who can dig up everything? Mm -hmm. So we had to think of a reason why uh, Sobachek was going to blow it in that in that moment, and we, you know, that was how the whole the whole thing where he, he suggests putting uh, yeah. putting Kevin in a bag and yes. driving him out, to the, him out <laughs> to the desert, taking out to the desert. That was that, was, and and I just love the way uh, uh, all three of them. You know, the secret the secret of uh, of drama is casting, uh, because these you know you have three. This this show has just a murderer's row uh, of, of of actors, and and uh, they're just incredible. They always bring out the best in each other, and it's 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 basically we just we we kind of set these scenes and then let these guys rip 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 with it. And um, yeah, Stephen Stephen was just so great in that oh, yeah. scene, and Bob is so funny, and Ray is just yeah, like you say, it's in a, in a lot of ways it's her scene. It is, uh, yeah. And it, this is all about this is all about how far is Kim Wexler willing to go um, yes, to and, and, and for justice. I don't like the answer, Peter. For I don't justice. like it. <laughs> well, yeah, Breaking her heart. You, 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 you see it on whatever, her face. Whatever you see she's her weighing the options. Yeah. Whatever she's doing though is not for her own. It's not for her own material gain. It's it's, it's for her own her own feeling of what's right and what's wrong and what she, what she's willing to be a part of as far as the bank is concerned. And it's, yeah. it's just, it's a really, it's a really interesting situation. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, something we, we've talked about a few times on the, on the podcast before, uh, I remember most, uh, with, uh, Patrick about pocket dialogue. It's something that we, we've talked about a few times and pocket dialogue, if you, just to refresh you is the stuff that it's not what's it's not the scripted scene but a lot of times you have people like especially in a montage you have people interacting and you and so you need them to be speaking and so everything that is being every word that is spoken on the screen is is almost always something that was written whether or not you can hear it uh, and that's something that on this show we, we take a lot of care with that and I remember Patrick talking about it uh, an experience he had on a previous show where, you know, he's like, you got to learn that stuff because you may think you're in the background and you get to set and you didn't learn that dialogue and you find out, okay, we're going to start on a close up of you saying all that dialogue. And he's like, I better learn that dialogue right now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, um, and so a lot of times I think we've talked about it before, like in season one, uh, Ariel, who at the time was the post PA and is now, uh, co-wrote episode 10 of this season that's right um you know she wrote it she wrote the 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 soap opera stuff for right uh she or wrote what did she, she write she the wrote extra soap opera uh stuff. she wrote some soap yes we had a we had a it was in episode two i right. believe when we were at abuelita's house mm -hmm. with tuco uh, an episode and, that i wrote um and uh it was on the tv in her right. house and um, we had to fill it. We had one little clip that mm -hmm. we were able to license, and then right. we had to fill it because uh, off screen in other places. And she, yeah, she actually wrote this terrific telenovela that we had the loop group perform for us, and it's in there. And she also wrote it at various times um, sports, baseball you know, games, baseball lots games. of baseball wow. games. And, wow. uh, yeah, she, when Mike was at the Kettleman's house. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah! You know, watching, That's waiting right. for them. He was in the head. He was listening to a baseball game to pass the time, and we had to write all that because we couldn't. We couldn't license. It's like impossible to license actual baseball right. it's material. Like it's like weirdly impossible. It's, yeah. It's oh, you can do it. It just costs an all insane amount of money. Right. And and that's just we 
money we don't have to spend. Uh, and right. we have such a talented office here. Yes, that why exactly. why would yes. we? Yeah, we have amazing writers at at, at every level and 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 one of the things we've had this season, like in episode one, all the stuff that's on the radio, in episode three, uh, the, you know, when Kim approaches Acker's house and you hear this, what sounds like kind of a military documentary going on in the background. And that's all stuff that Val wrote. Was Val a writer on, in your own right? And in addition to all the amazing stuff you do in the show, talk a little bit about the task of, of having to create worlds that we hear but we don't hear too well so it's got to be accurate but not too uh not too distracting what, what was the experience like for you on doing these things this season um it's always a great opportunity to be able to write anything um and contribute in a small way to the show um i can say that when we're in production the pocket dialogue that's written for these scenes is spearheaded by our writer's assistant arielle levine and our script coordinator kathleen uh Foshi. and so they sort of lead the charge when we're in the craze of production and um you know the process for us is we get approval from the writer um, once that's completed, and then of course it goes to Peter for final approval. Um, the pocket dialogue that I get to write usually happens when no other assistants are in the office. Um, not not like as a not not that I'm a last resort, but um, there uh, once the scenes have gone through the post production phase, sometimes you'll find that you need a little bit more than. Uh, Peter or the writers had anticipated. So it's a fun process because, as you mentioned, uh, in episode three, there was the um, the uh, fake documentary, right. fake war documentary. Um, so I got to uh, do some research, uh, listen to a lot of documentaries, and um, work with Peter on sort of uh, what Acker, you know, everything on this show, I'm just amazed how every single aspect of the show uh, costumes, props, just the tiniest details, it all goes back to character. And that's something that the writers have really, I mean, it, it seems so obvious, um, everything goes back to character, but I think that on this show, they really live by that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, kind of talking about the kind of person that Acker is, what kind of documentary would he be watching? Um, and and so, yeah, I got to uh, to kind of create my own fake documentary and uh and uh, one of the this is uh, i guess kind of insider baseball but it, it was exciting when i was working with peter you know it's it, he felt like uh it needed a little more gusto so like one of the opening lines was like normandy yeah. <laughs> uh, and i i always quote that in the office because i i love that um well, I, and if you could yeah. i mean and you can you wouldn't think that that much work went into something that it really is in the background and there's a piece of music that Thomas and his team found and there's sound effects that that Nick and the team put together and it and it all lays in and if you if you just listen to it it absolutely is a you would think it is like a clip that we licensed from some history channel type documentary and uh yeah I mean it's that level of detail and also I love that that this is a great place that, I mean, I we've talked about it a million times and I have absolutely been uh, the, the beneficiary and a part of it that it's a place where if you're willing to seize the opportunities that are placed in front of you and, and you know, it, do the extra work, you, you can do some extraordinary things. I mean, I think back to Joey 
Reinish over there. Uh, you know, he, he was my assistant as we've talked about until he betrayed me and started working with skip and, <laughs> and which is totally fine, totally fine. And, uh, no, that, that you cut that, that amazing breaking bad tribute reel that played at comic-con and, and that like, you know, it, the, with all the other things we have going on, the opportunity was presented and you did it and you knocked it out of the park as did you, Val, with with all of the things you've done this season, and I think it's it's a testament to, I think the the leadership that you have, Peter, of being and uh, and Diane, of being able to say, hey, we believe in you, we think that you can do this. Do you do you want to do you want to give it a chance? Also, Joey cut one of the most complicated scenes in the next episode oh, after yeah. this one. Oh, yeah. He Tease, cut yeah. <laughs> he cut he cut a scene that has so many different layers to it and so many characters. Uh, it seems uncuttable to me, but yeah. but he, he he did he did a remarkable job. You'll have to hear all about it on the next oh, yeah. podcast. On the next podcast, <laughs> that yes. We haven't yet recorded. We have. Yeah. I, we have. I We're also, way out of order. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I also just want to give a quick shout out to our writers, PA Faith. Um, one of the other tasks that the support staff has in every episode is generating a list of prop documents, and prop documents are basically. I mean, they vary uh, depending on the episode's needs, but for us being a legal show, it's usually what we see on screen for the legal document, kind of that top sheet. So it can be anything from, uh, I'm going to butcher the official document names, but criminal records, anything that we see. Um, So every concept meaning faith our writers pa will flag all of the potential prop documents that we'll be using for the episode and then during the meeting um, as we go through the script i will write down any notes from um, anyone who's speaking to those documents what it looks like what the needs are going to be and then afterwards i'll um huddle with the writer and Peter and go over exactly how much we think we'll see. So in those scenes where you see a stack of of papers, Peter actually goes th- and the writer will actually go through and say, well, it feels like we might need 20 sheets of paper here, but we'll only see the top sheet. So we'll, we'll generate faith, we'll generate um, what we see on screen. And it's a very, um, like she's just so skilled in like having done the research of what we might see. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the props department, if they have an example uh, that they've, you know, kept in their arsenal over the years from the courthouse or examples of formatting from these legal documents, they'll send something over. But a lot of it she's generating from scratch and and yeah, so everything you see on screen with copy written on it is very uh, well thought out. And um, and so for the montage, I remember she was pulling her hair out because there are a lot of documents you see on screen, but she she pulled it off and uh, and she did a great job. Yeah. So if you see, if, for instance, uh, the scene where Jimmy is uh, where the cop holds up the uh, the document and says, you know, it's an eviction. It's an eviction. If the there is an actual eviction notice with the right address and the characters' names and everything there, you might think that's crazy. It's a detail you'd never see. But, in fact, we don't know for sure. Uh, when we mm-hmm. shoot these scenes, uh, you know, sometimes the director will start a shot on a, on a document yeah. or the actor may have an idea that involves turning pages that we would see. So we really want to make sure that nobody on set is limited by, uh, by the props that we've created. Uh, and also we're shooting 
in uh, 4K. 4K, which, you know, it seemed like a lot when we started. Now too many Ks. It's, too many, it's a lot of so K. It's a lot of K. Uh, you know, and we've also had uh, experiences that I'm not going to go into on Breaking Bad where prop documents were maybe not fully thought out and maybe established things that we didn't really want to establish. Let's just, let's leave it at, let's know, leave it at you that. You learn from your mistakes. Let's leave, yeah, let's leave it at that. We, Details are important. Also, I want to mention. not alone in that, that problem. I also want to mention, though, that, that Val is, is, a, is a, a produced writer. She's she's already written, she, she wrote an episode of Nashville, uh, so she is. She is already. She she did us a great favor by uh, taking on the job here, uh, and she's a, she's a really a really talented, wonderful writer. Absolutely, going to have a big big future, uh, and I, we're very lucky to have her working. On, and also, you know, she also everything because because I, I I learned how to do this from Vince Gilligan, and Vince Gilligan is not a, not a sparrow shall fall. Uh, and so I do my best to to keep up keep up that tradition, and uh, so everything every all the props and costumes and sets and textures and colors and prop docs all need to get. Uh, it need, I need to at least put my eyes on all all that stuff, and the in the in that it's all happening in Albuquerque, and it's Val acts as coordination for all these departments, and there's always you know a million questions to be answered and Val uh, Val ends up being uh, part of every one of those decisions uh, this episode one of the big challenges in this episode there are many challenges was that fountain that mm-hmm. we built and what is that fountain going to look like and how is that and Jim Jim McKay had some really wonderful ideas uh, you know one of the there were some things that were presented that were actually fit too well into the village one of the things we wanted it to express something about Gus and his 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 own so much of Gus's taste you know in, in the Poyos Hermanos world is not I think that that's something that's a he's created that for a target audience mm-hmm. um, certainly when you see him dressed you see the way he, he the, the clothes that he chooses to right. wear that that reflects a lot about his taste the watch he wears mm-hmm. reflects more about i think his his inner taste and i thought this this fountain really needed to be in that world and that was that was a huge challenge and val mm-hmm. val had to go back and forth and there were there were a million drawings and different ideas we built that fountain we like built designed yeah. it and yes. built it we designed yeah, and built crazy. that fountain isn't it and isn't it great it's, it's really fun. great i love it mm-hmm. We still have it. Can I bring it home? <laughs> uh, you know, it's a, that's a good question. It's probably there with you know we have the the pump jack and the, oh all the, the giant horse and eventually when we're when we're finished, I'm going to have it all transported to my front yard. There you go. <laughs> well, Val, I got to tell you, I'm I'm very impressed because I always or have on the day on the set with prop uh, prop documents that uh, either are on my desk or that I read. Uh, there they are so complete on this particular show that I get inspired by them. Yeah, because all that information does play into what I might be thinking, uh, equally so or equivalent to that pocket dialogue that sometimes actors think, oh, that's just a throwaway, right. when it really isn't. No. That all plays into what's going on in my brain when that camera comes up and catches my eyes. And for that to be complete is just another tribute to every piece of how this show works to be informative and knowledgeable, but also um, very personal 
in that it does come back to character. And so kudos to you for, I've, I've learned something today that helps me as well. Where does all that come from? <laughs> yeah. You know? And yeah. so I do have, I have a question. Yep. So in that documentary footage that we hear um, uh, at the house, mm -hmm. is that then recorded by someone? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. The Loop Group. The Loop Love Group. Love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love it. And I think for that one, we actually cast it. We had her send uh, some voices ahead of time. So so they'll they'll do auditions for us and send them in and Peter will listen to them. And we, you know, if it's a, something super specific like that, we mm -hmm. will cast it. We have a wonderful uh, loop group leader. Her name is Edie Merman. And she generally will cast the voices that we use. And, you know, we have a, you know, kind of a circle of people who go through and we always need Spanish voices. You know, we need, you know, that, that episode in particular, obviously we needed a lot of Spanish voices. And, um, uh, but then that, that, that TV program, we did listen to some auditions and we cast someone who had that right, like history channel type voice. Um, and then that person would go in with the loop group and record on the ADR stage. Yeah. And then sometimes we, you know, we make a mistake too, because I think the original idea, we, we started cutting in sound effects of machine guns and things like that. It was a clip from a movie, but it was just guns. It was guns. That's yeah. right. That's right. We started, that's right. The first thing we tried was an actual clip because we have, because of this, we're in the Sony family, we, there are certain things that we can use without um, spending money on them. And it's not, obviously, if there's something that we want to spend money on. And so the, um, we, had a, we, had a, we had a war movie and it was all guns. That's right, this before, we, before this even became uh, part of Al's world. And it just, it started with Kim walking across this dark yeah, lawn. It, like, it was already, yeah, it, was it, already it already seemed scary enough yes. without hearing guns. Because yeah. I always think that Acker's gonna, that, that was another that was another away, way to, right. to do that scene because you have the an old man living in the alone in the middle of the desert. Yep. Uh, he certainly could have come to the door with a with a shotgun. That's and, right. Uh, maybe that might be, you know, who knows? Maybe that'll happen in another 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 episode, another season. <laughs> well, speaking of bringing a shotgun to the door, uh, we're being told we're out of time, and uh, and there's there's no shotgun here, guys. Uh, it's just a clock. And oh wow, there is a shotgun now! Holy cow! Um, but uh, thank you guys so much for coming in, Giancarlo and, and Val and oh. Diane, and of course Joey and Peter. Uh, thank you, Mike Bearman Trout. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Uh, and thank you, Chris Sullivan, for no reason in particular. And um, something we do on this podcast, uh, Giancarlo, is we take we kind of like take us out every week with kind of somebody doing their best Bob Odenkirk style Better Call Saul. Uh, would you do us the honors? Hey, you better. You better. You better call Saul. Yeah! <laughs>